here to worship Christ, the newborn and risen and reigning King of kings and Lord of lords. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 2. Luke 2. We're going to be looking at verses 22 to 38. So we're picking up a little bit after Christmas, sometime later. We're going to come back and cover uh, Christmas night and the shepherds and the angels tonight. We're going to be looking at verses 22 to 38 and these two wonderful older people in the temple, Simeon and Anna. Hear now the word of God. And when the time for their purification according to the law of Moses had come, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb is holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is wonderful. You alone have the words of eternal life. You reveal your truth, your gospel, your son, your salvation to us. Please write it on our hearts as we spend time considering your word this morning. May the time we spend be blessed by your spirit. And may we be changed. May we have an encounter with Christ even as Simeon and Anna did so many years ago. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Waiting. Waiting in faith. 
When I was a kid, one of my least favorite little ditties was the reminder song, Have Patience. You probably know the song. If you know it, feel free to sing along with me. Have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry, for when you're impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too, and think of all the times when others had to wait for you. I did not have to look up the words to that song. It was drilled in my head. And then we drilled it into our kids' heads because that's what you do. But I remember as a kid grumbling at this song, thinking, yeah, yeah, God is patient. God is a lot of things that I'm not. And when has anybody ever had to wait for me? I'm usually the first one ready to go. Always have been that way. And so I wasn't patient. I didn't really want to be patient. It didn't help any that when I became a teenager, people advised me the one thing you don't want to pray for is patience. And I thought, well, that's good. That makes me feel less guilty. Um, by the way, it's a terrible advice. Um, you should pray for patience. Um, and you should accept the trials that work patience. Um, that's part of what we need to learn, right? Uh, but this time of year was probably the worst for me. Um, I always wanted to know what I was getting for Christmas ahead of time. I just had to know. Um, and so I was would try to figure out ways to figure out what I was getting. And most importantly, I always had one sort of big item on my Christmas wish list, and I always wanted to know if I was actually going to get that big item or not. I always did, but I always worried about whether or not I was going to. Even as I'm older now, by a couple of years, <laughs> waiting is still hard. Waiting reminds us that we are not in control. We are not in control of our own lives, much less of the universe and everything in it. And so the Bible tells us again and again to wait on the Lord because he is the one who is in control and he is the one who is good. The Bible makes precious promises for those who wait on the Lord, promising us renewed strength and renewed hope and encouragement and reward as we wait on the Lord. Waiting in faith is an important aspect of saving faith. Last week, we saw that saving faith can be defined as saying yes to what God has said in his word and not trying to get God to sign off on our agenda. So last week, we emphasized that a real prayer of faith and real faith is not saying to God, okay, here's what I want you to do for me, and if I believe hard enough, you will do it. You'll have to do it because my faith will compel you. No, it's the very opposite. It takes what God has said, and it says, yes, I believe that this is what you've done, this is what you're going to do, and I will trust you for it even when it doesn't look like it's really happening in my life. And that's where waiting comes in, because God has made great and precious promises to us, and his promises are yes in Christ, but we haven't received all of them yet. And so we have to believe in what God has given, and we have to trust God in faith and wait for what he has not yet done, what he has promised to do. Simeon and Anna were two older people, 
who were waiting on the promise of God. Simeon had received a more specific personal promise from God, but both of them knew the scriptures well enough to know that God had promised that he was going to send the Messiah, referred to in this passage as the consolation of Israel or the redemption of Jerusalem. They were waiting for the Messiah. And one day, verse 22 tells us, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple to dedicate him when the time had come. This would have been 40 days after Jesus was born. Eight days after he was born, he was circumcised. And then 33 days after that, he had to be dedicated. And, and the day of circumcision was day one of the 33 days. And so you get to 40 days. 40 days after he was born, he was dedicated. Why was he dedicated to the Lord? Because the law had said that the firstborn male had to be dedicated to the Lord, belonged to the Lord, was holy to the Lord. And this goes all the way back to the days of the Exodus when God had spared the firstborn of Israel and he had taken the firstborn of Egypt and the blood of the Passover lamb had marked the people of God. But you know, actually, this firstborn male was the firstborn male that all that firstborn male stuff had been about for the past 1,500 years. The whole point of the Passover lamb, the whole point of the firstborn males being holy and needing to be sacrificed is all about this one, the one and only Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, to come into the world. But we see from this, from this little introduction, we see from Joseph and Mary two things that are very important for us to know. First of all is they were obedient to the word of God. Jesus came to fulfill the law of God, and so he did everything that was required according to the law, starting with what his parents did for him when he was still a baby. You see that emphasis here um, in verse 22, we see according to the law of Moses. In verse 23, we say, as it is written in the law of the Lord. In verse 24, it says, what is said in the law of the Lord. And so you're getting the point, this is an obedient couple. They are taking what God's word says seriously, and they are doing what God requires. The other thing we see about them, though, is that they are not wealthy, because they're offering a pair of birds. And if you look at the law of the Lord for the redemption of the firstborn, a pair of birds is the sacrifice that is required if you don't have enough money to be able to afford a lamb. So normally you would offer up a lamb. What they didn't even realize yet was that they were actually carrying the lamb in their arms, but they didn't have enough money to buy a lamb, and so they bought two birds, two pigeons or two turtle doves. This also, by the way, if you want to do some real thinking about chronology, this proves that the visit of the wise men almost certainly came after 40 days, because if they had already received the gift of gold from the wise men, they certainly would have had enough money to buy a lamb, right? They wouldn't have had to go the cheaper route and take the two turtle doves. Also, they fled Bethlehem right after the visit of the wise men. So whenever the wise men came, it was after 40 days. 
despite our tradition of doing it on January 6th, maybe January 6th, a year later. All right, so um, from, from this we see that. And then we're introduced to Simeon in verse 25. We'll pick up the passage there. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. There's another reference to the law in verse 27. Just in case you missed it, they're being obedient to the law of God. They're fulfilling the law. What do we know about Simeon? Well, four things were told in one verse that introduces him. First of all, he was righteous. That speaks to his upright moral character. Secondly, he was devout. That speaks of his sincere devotion to God. In the beginning, when God created man in his image, he created him with righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is an upright moral character, and holiness is dedication to God. And we see these two things are true about Simeon. He is a righteous man, and he is a devout man. But the third thing we see is that he is waiting he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. This speaks of an expectant and obedient waiting for the coming of the long-awaited promised Messiah. And the fourth thing is that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, this is interesting because the Holy Spirit was upon him despite the fact that he did not hold one of the three anointed offices under the old covenant of either prophet, priest, or king. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. Certainly not a king and yet the Holy Spirit is upon him. And the Holy Spirit had given him a particular promise that he would not die until his own eyes beheld the consolation of Israel, beheld the Lord's Christ. And so he's waiting patiently. We're introduced to Anna at the end of our chapter, of our passage rather, in verse 26. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Now, here's what's interesting. Simeon's not a prophet, but he had received a word from the Lord, a promise for him, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Anna is a prophetess, but she had not received any special promise from the Lord that she was definitely going to see the Lord's Christ, but she trusted God's word, and she knew what God's word had said. And so she was waiting, and she had been waiting for a long time. She was 84 years old. Now, we don't know exactly how long that meant she was in the temple. We know that she lived with her husband for seven years. We don't know exactly when they got married, probably somewhere around 15. So her husband probably died when she was around 22. Good guess, which means she had been waiting for 62 years. Are you waiting on the Lord? What are you waiting on the Lord for? What in your life right now is hard to wait for? I know one young man who's waiting to be married. And the waiting is hard. I see another young couple who were waiting to be married, and now they're not past that waiting time. 
but they're waiting for other things. They're waiting for a graduation. They're waiting for some uh, normalcy in their lives. What are you waiting for? Some of us are waiting for children to come to know the Lord. And we're praying and we're waiting. Some of you may be waiting for children or grandchildren. All of us should be waiting to see the Lord's Christ face to face, just as Simeon and Anna were, because we've been given a promise. They were given a promise that he was going to come. We've been given a promise that he's going to come back. And when is he going to come back? Soon, right? Soon. And so we should be waiting with expectant hope. We read earlier in, in Psalm 130 this wonderful prayer that reflects the heart of a true believer. In Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. What is it about the coming of the Lord that you're waiting for? Some of you are waiting for the fact that when the Lord comes again, there will be no more disease, no more weakness, no more cancer, no more cancer treatments, no more aging, no more growing weaker, no more neck pain, no more struggle, right? All of us should be waiting for two things that will be given to each one of us when Jesus comes again. No more sin and no more separation from our Savior. We will be face to face with Jesus and we'll be free from sin forever. And if you're a believer, your heart should be longing for those things. And you should be waiting. And Simeon and Anna are a good example to us of waiting. How did they wait? Well, Anna waited by worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Simeon waited by being filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you can't wait on the Lord patiently in faith unless you are abiding in the Lord by faith. And abiding in the Lord is not a part-time thing. You see, the strength and the faith and the patience to wait is drawn from the grace that we get from abiding in the Lord and walking with him day by day, moment by moment. Simeon and Anna didn't have a Sunday morning only for an hour or a few minutes in the morning relationship with God. They were abiding in the Lord. They were trusting in the Lord. They were walking with the Lord. That is how we get the grace to wait with patience. Simeon and Anna further show us how they're waiting in faith by the way they responded when they finally saw the one they've been waiting for. Simeon, verse 27, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. Anna, in verse 38 Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption 
of Israel. The first thing to note, the most obvious thing, Simeon and Anna, when they saw Jesus, they were joyful and they were thankful. They didn't just say, oh, yeah, finally, about time, good. All right, Lord, I can die now. No, it was joyful. Took the baby up in his arms and said, yes, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen. My eyes have seen. Worship that is by faith is worship that is thankful and that is joyful. The Lord has kept his promises to us. He has sent his son to save us. We remember that this time of year, every year, how God has kept his promises, how God has sent his son to save us. And it shouldn't just be half-hearted, reluctant, ho-hum, when's it going to be over? It should be joyful and it should be thankful, our worship. Baby Jesus just shy of six weeks old. It's a helpless little baby. And yet Simeon knows, here is the consolation of Israel. Here is the consolation of Israel, he says, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon saw something by the power of the Holy Spirit in this little baby that many in Israel didn't see and didn't understand, and that is that this baby was coming to do more than just bring some temporary political relief to one nation. He was coming in the presence of all peoples as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus didn't just come to be a national hero for Israel. He had a much bigger mission. Isaiah had foretold this mission in 49 Isaiah 49, verses 5 and 6, we read this. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Unfortunately, God's people over the centuries had neglected those aspects of the promise of Messiah. Very clearly a messianic passage and promise. Very clearly that God is going to make him a light to the nations that God's salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And yet, God's people have become so, so altered by a narrow nationalism that the word of God was filtered so they only expected a Messiah to do the things that they wanted him to do and not the things that God had actually promised that he was going to do. Jesus brings a salvation that is for all peoples and for all nations. And we need to have that vision. The gospel is bigger than our community or our nation. It's the worldwide spread of the kingdom of God, of the praise of Jesus Christ. Anna also saw the faithfulness of God. She rejoiced. She gave thanks at that very hour, and she began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Her joy overflowed in telling anyone and everyone who would listen. Of course, not everyone would listen, <laughs> but those who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem 
would listen and she would tell them. She would tell them, I saw him. I saw the redemption of Jerusalem. He's here. And this brings us to the final aspect of the faith of Simeon and Anna. Not only were they waiting patiently in hope, not only were they joyful and thankful when Jesus came, but when they saw the truth, they spoke the truth clearly. Sometimes we can be tempted to be thankful and joyful for ourselves, and we can come to church and we can say, Yes, thank you, Lord. You have sent salvation. Jesus is Lord. He has come. And then we go out to the world, and we don't want to tell anybody. We just sort of keep it to ourselves. But that's not what Simeon or Anna did. Simeon even was led by the Holy Spirit to say something very difficult to Mary. Verse 34 tells us, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. It's interesting to me that Simeon blessed both of them, but then spoke this difficult message only to Mary. Why? Well, we're not told exactly, but probably it's because Joseph would not live to see Jesus' public ministry or his crucifixion, but Mary would. So Mary would be the one to see her son go out into the world and be praised by large crowds and be violently opposed by others, to be that sign that divides. And ultimately, at the foot of the cross, that sword would pierce her own heart. And Simeon tells her this so that she'll be prepared. When, when Mary stood at the foot of the cross and watched her son, the sign who was opposed, be killed by those who were in power and who could not stand him, she didn't understand. She didn't know fully. She couldn't have known fully exactly what was happening. But she remembered these words from Simeon, and they must have brought her comfort. How do we know that she remembered these words from Simeon? Because Mary is most likely the source for Luke 1 and 2. Luke, Luke said he went and interviewed people and compiled evidence, and it very much seems to be the case that the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke come from Mary. Certainly, Simeon and Anna wouldn't have been around anymore to ask but Mary remembered. We're told a couple of times in this chapter that Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. So Mary remembered. Jesus came into the world. We, we celebrate him this time of year. We sing these beautiful Christmas carols about the child in the manger. And even the world seems to go along for the ride without raising too much fuss. Yes, away in a manger, silent night, the little baby boy in Bethlehem. But this little baby boy had come to bring salvation. And it's a salvation that comes at a cost. Because for us to receive the salvation that Jesus brings into the world, we have to admit two things. 
We have to admit that we need salvation, and we have to admit that we cannot save ourselves. And the prideful human heart does not want to do that. The prideful human heart says, look, I would appreciate it if you would help me out in getting done what I want to get done, but save me from my sins? I'm not that bad. I'll be all right. I'm a pretty good person. The good in my life certainly outweighs the bad in my life. If God is any kind of a fair judge, he'll let me in. What do you mean I can't save myself? I, I'm a decent, upright, God-fearing, church-going, tax-paying American citizen. I can do it. We learn that. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Self-made man. No. Jesus comes and clears all of that out of the way. And he exposes us. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. God sees our hearts. God knows what no one else knows, what we won't even admit to ourselves, just how deep the sin runs, just how profoundly it affects everything about us, and just how helpless we are to deliver ourselves from it. That is the truth. We need a Savior. And God sent a Savior who comes to us, but he will not come to us to sign off on what we want him to do, he will come to us to do for us what we need to have done, and that is we need to be rescued from ourselves. We need to be rescued from our sin and our condemnation. We need to accept that we are so guilty and vile in the eyes of a holy, holy God that the only way for us to be saved is through a substitute Savior, a Redeemer, who will take our place and ransom us from the condemnation that we deserve. Those who know themselves to be sinners, those who know themselves to have no hope of being good enough for a perfectly holy God who is also the perfectly just judge of the whole world will at this point be thankful and joyful that a Savior has come to rescue us. And there will be a deep and a profound joy that goes so much further than just, oh, look at the cute little baby in the manger. Isn't that nice? because we'll realize that this baby comes on a rescue mission and that if it weren't for him coming, we would be completely without hope. We would be eternally condemned. We would be cut off from God forever. But those who think too highly of themselves, those who think they're doing just fine, those who think they're pretty good, will, you know, go along with the sentimentality of the season, especially if there are cookies and hot chocolate involved. But December 26th comes, and we'll move on with our lives and not have to think about this Jesus anymore. Where are you? Where are you? Are you, are you just enjoying this season of festivity, or are you desperately knowing your need for the Savior? Are you waiting for him to come back and to, to deliver you. Have you seen in your own heart that while you are forgiven through Jesus, while you're justified in the eyes of God because Jesus is your Savior, there's still so much sin 
and it's so wearisome, and you just can't wait to be fully free. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1 says this. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 to 22 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We're very much like Simeon in that way. We have seen that the Lord has kept his promise. He said he would send one who would be son of God, son of David, our substitute Savior, our Messiah, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, to bear our sins and rise again. We've seen it. God's done it. We say, Amen. And we have the Holy Spirit to be upon us and to seal us and to help us wait for the consummation for that glorious day. Psalm 16, one of my favorite psalms, ends with this wonderful promise. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I love that. That verse always reminds me of my favorite book. You all probably know where I'm going. The Path of Life, right? Pilgrim's Progress. The burden was lifted at Calvary. Our sins are forgiven. We're given new garments. We're given a seal, a sealed scroll of our promised inheritance, but we keep walking on that road. We keep walking on that path of life. And where are we going? We're going to that place where there is fullness of joy in the very presence of God. We're going to the one at whose right hand there are pleasures forevermore. There, there is joy in this life, especially this time of year. There's joy in singing Christmas carols. There's joy in eating Christmas cookies or Christmas donuts as we have for after worship this morning. They're Christmas donuts because it's Christmas Eve, so they're special. It means they don't have any calories, pretty sure. At least that's what I'll tell myself. But we, we're waiting. Even as we're walking, we're waiting. And we encourage one another on the way. 1 John 3 says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe the truth of the Christmas story and all that the Bible has promised in Christ, you are a child of God. That is what you are. The world doesn't recognize that. The world doesn't see Matt Miller come to the front door and say, oh, here's Matt Miller. He's a child of God. No, it's like, here's another guy, right? Here's, here's another woman coming in. Just, we just look like everybody else. But that's what we are. We are children of God. We have been adopted. We have been loved by our Heavenly Father. And we have been given a secure, eternal inheritance 
what we will be has not yet appeared. The love of the Father has been given us in Christ, but we are not yet face to face with Jesus. And so we long, we groan, and we wait in eager expectation for the day of consummation, the coming day of glory. And so my question for you is, are you waiting? Are you waiting? Kids, are you waiting? For presents tomorrow morning? We've already got them accumulating under our tree at our house. I know some of them have my name on them. We're waiting for tomorrow morning, right? But you know what's even more exciting? We're waiting for Jesus. And if he decides to come back today, and that means we don't get to open the presents tomorrow morning, praise be to God. We'll have a better Christmas in glory. That's what we're waiting for. And if we're waiting to wait well, we need to be abiding in the Lord. We need to be worshiping day and night. We need to be walking by faith. We need to be joyful and thankful for what God has already given. And we need to be expectant of what he's going to give. And we need to be telling everybody about him. Everybody who will listen about the one who has come and the one who is coming. So this Christmas, rejoice and give thanks for your Savior. He has come. And wait in eager expectation, for he is coming again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We confess to you that we are far too impatient and that we are not very good at waiting. Give us the grace to wait faithfully, joyfully, expectantly. For we know, just as surely as Jesus came the first time to fulfill all of your promises, so he will come again to bring those promises to their full consummation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.